Well, good morning, everybody. Just when it seemed that being overworked, overbooked, and overwhelmed was going to be accepted as normal way of living, it seems that we've started to rebel. Yeah. And I love it. People are starting to push back. And they're questioning, do I have to live my life this way, even if everyone else around me is? And so there's this movement that's started to spring up in pockets all over North America, encouraging people to rediscover the simple life. You can actually sign up for it in the lobby on your way out. Books and blogs and magazines and articles are being written every day, trying to encourage people to get rid of the hurry and the hectic pace and the clutter that fills so much of our lives. And does anybody else find it ironic that my search for help on living the simple life this week, a simple Google search, got over 3 billion hits for help on living the simple life? Seems like a little clutter on the internet. Or that one article offered 72 simple steps for living the simple life? (laughs) Something's wrong here. Two authors, Art and Tom Rainer, did some pretty extensive research into this a couple of years ago on what is it that we really mean when we say we want to get back to the simple life. And the research was across all demographic lines. And when they boiled it down, what bubbled up to the surface for people was really four key areas. They said these are the things in our lives that we want to simplify if we want to have a more satisfying, more fulfilling life. You curious? Okay, so Johanna and I will go have coffee and we'll talk about it. The rest of you can just talk amongst yourselves. Uh, They felt like everybody, the majority of the people in the survey said, I don't have enough time for the things that really matter in my life. Second, with my time, I want to build stronger, deeper relationships. Third, I want to get a grip on my money problems. And specifically, I want to deal with things like past due bills, limited income, deficit savings, and mounting debt. Do I have your attention yet? Uh, Fourth, and most interestingly of all to me in the survey was, they saw a huge void in their relationship with God. Not interesting because I'm a pastor, but interesting because only 35% of the people in the survey were evangelical Christians. Yet the majority of the people said they saw a void in their relationship with God. I find that fascinating. So we're going to talk about those things over the next four weeks. Very specifically, and offer some help starting today with this idea of time. I find it fascinating when we look at the life of Jesus as it's laid out in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus had this very large, very public ministry to thousands of people that had this huge goal of saving the world, you, me, thousands of people, that really only spanned a little more than three years. Big job. And yet in that three-year window of time, he found time to have dinner, very small, intimate dinners with his closest friends. And, according to the Gospel of John, even with his family. 
He found time to give one-on-one attention to the poor, the sick, and the needy. Time to listen. When people who were in need, single individuals, wanted to pour out the deepest longings of their heart. And in John 17, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was praying to the Father, on the night before his crucifixion, Jesus said, I've brought you glory on earth by completing, finishing the work that you gave me to do. Amazing. Jesus got done everything that God wanted him to do while he was here on earth, and yet we never read about Jesus being in a hurry. (laughs) Never read about Jesus cutting a conversation short because he had to get on to the next task on his to-do list. We don't read about Jesus... Uh, actually rushing from one city to another or grabbing a 12 and saying, we've got to run down this dock or we're going to miss the last boat across the Sea of Galilee. Never in a hurry. He didn't have his life marked by the chaos and the hurry that's a part of our lives. Confession was a big part of my week this week as I prepared to talk about time. And then in John 10... Jesus said, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. A life that Jesus seemed to enjoy if you read the Gospels. But for most of us, if we're really, really honest, a life described by those two words, rich and satisfying, seems to be elusive. Now, it's not that we're unhappy with our lives. I don't want to paint a picture like that. But the truth is, when we think about it, it's elusive. And it's not that we can really actually even put our finger on what's wrong. It's just that when we think about our lives, whatever point we're at right now, things aren't exactly like we pictured they would be. Or at least they're not all they could be. And if we're honest... We're like most of the people who took that survey that Art and Tom Rainer gave. We'd love to make some changes if we could just figure out how to get started. Lewis Smeads was this gentle soul of a writer and a speaker, and he had this great way of putting everyday things into a different perspective, and he wrote Uh, in one of his books about buying a brand new date book. And he said, I bought my new date book yesterday. Every square in it has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm in at the moment. Every square is a frame for one episode of my life. And before I'm through with the book, I'll fill the squares with things I cannot afford to forget. I'll fill the squares too with things I do not write down. Thousands of cups of coffee, some lovemaking, some praying, and I hope some gestures to help my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside one of those squares on my date book because I live my life one square at a time. And I think the challenge for every one of us is to make sure that we fill those squares in our date books, whether it's paper or electronic, with the right things. 
and in the right way. And even to make sure that enough of those squares are empty so that we have this healthy, soul-nourishing rhythm to our lives. Now, this morning, I have some visuals as we talk about using our time to help illustrate what I'm going to talk about. This isn't original with me, and it wasn't original with the half dozen or so people that I've heard use it. Uh, I don't remember who I first heard do this, so I'm not going to give anybody credit. Uh, I heard somebody once say, if you steal from one source, it's plagiarism. If you steal from multiple sources, it's considered research. So this is just research. Uh, So what we have here is uh, just a jar and a vase and some sand. The jar represents your life. You and I have the same number of hours as everybody else in our day, same number of days in the week, and it's not going to change. Now, our lives are different lengths, but the jar represents your day, your week. It's the same as everybody else, and the sand in this vase represents time. Every one of us has a certain number of have-tos, obligations, in our day, right? So there are some things that we just have to do, and some of those we have in common. For example, there are some personal things that we just have to do, like sleep, right? Some of us sleep more than others. Some of us would like to sleep more than we do. But we sleep, on average, somewhere between five and eight hours a day. That's sand into the jar, and it's roughly about a third of our day that we sleep, that we're committed to. So it's just time that's gone. There's other things, personal things that we do, like personal hygiene. We do that, right? (laughs) Makes these together times a little more comfortable if we do the personal hygiene. Things like bathing, brushing our teeth, flossing for the week before we go to the dentist, (laughs) exercising the week before our annual physical, those things, you know. There's other things that we do that we have in common. Household tasks like laundry and cleaning and mowing the yard, balancing the checkbook, paying the bills, all those fun things. They aren't really the things that we like to do, but they're a part of our life. It's more sand in the jar that takes up obligations that fill our time and our schedules. Common to all of us. Somebody has to do it to keep the household running. But there are other things that are unique to our stage of life. Some of you have kids at home. You have my sympathy. (laughs) I don't. That's why I smile when I watch you bringing your kids in on Sunday morning. Their obligations spill into your sand, right? So when they have an obligation, it takes some of your sand. So you have to run them places, take them places, help them do things. Does it hurt when I pour the sand? (laughs) I feel your pain. Um, So it it is a part of that. You're getting them ready for school right now. So soon their obligation will be off on somebody else. But there's homework to do, those kinds of things. For me, you can feel my pain, you know, caring for aging parents. Connie and I are leaving right after the service today for once a month. We go visit my parents and help take care of them and some of the things that they need in their house. So you can feel some of my pain. It's about three days a month that we go and we help take care of them. So there's obligations that are unique to our stage of life. Then there's just silly stuff in our lives, right? Obligations that we make, like caring for our pets. They estimate we spend, if you have a pet, about 10 minutes a day that you spend caring for your pet. 
Some of you spend more. You're very devoted to your pets. I want to ask you about that with your sand and why you're doing that. Uh, Then they estimate we spend 16 minutes a day or about a year of our life looking for lost things. (laughs) Seriously. Just let it go. Get some of your life back. What happens is we're just investing time in all these have-tos. Now, do you feel the tension? What's happened to your day or your week? It's getting full. And these have-tos are in the jar. And some of those are very good things. I don't want to minimize those. And some of them are things that you just can't get rid of. Some of you tried. You've decided sleep is not necessary. You're very grumpy this morning because of that decision. But what they don't represent necessarily, and no, I can't juggle, so don't ask, is they don't represent the major things in your life that are important to you, the things you value, the things you really, in your heart, desire to spend big chunks of your time on, your goals, your values, your dreams. And so you're left trying to invest little leftover pieces of your time on the things that you want to invest big chunks of your time. Things like your relationship with God. In Luke 10, 27, Jesus said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now, you're here today, most of us are here today because we're investigating or we're pursuing that kind of a relationship with God. We want to grow in that. And so though, even though our life is full, we try to fit that in somehow, growing with God. Then there's the people in our life. 1 Peter 1.22 says, love one another deeply from the heart. Well, it doesn't happen with little leftover scraps of time, does it? To love each other deeply. It takes time to spend with our family, with our friends, to be a good neighbor. And so we try to fit that in as best we can and love our neighbors and our friends and around the edges and the margins of our life. Oh, then there's that four-letter word. Now you're trying to imagine what I'm going to say, aren't you? Work. It's the ugliest four-letter word of all. There's work. Some of you are retired. You have more work than those of us who have a full-time job. You wonder how you ever managed to fit work in in the first place. Colossians 3.23 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. It's an attitude of the heart. So it's not a choice for most of us. It's a priority in our lives. We need to work. Starting to look like your life? And then, amazingly, some of you be shocked that I'll say this, there's joy. John 15, 11, Jesus said, I've told you these things, I've taught you, I've lived my life. I've come that you might have joy, that you'll be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. He wants us to have a joy-filled life. So what are the things you do on a consistent basis that bring joy to your life? Now, what do you notice? Where's the room for joy as you're trying to cram it in around the edges? It doesn't fit. Our priorities start to get crowded out of our life by the have-tos, the urgent, the necessary things, because we've filled our lives up 
first. Now, some of those things in there are things that we've just let creep in and we think we have to do. We've never really asked ourselves, do I have to do some of these things or examine them? But, you know, we're smart people, so we try to work around this problem rather than face it head on. So we try to jam more into our schedules, don't we? We stay up a little later, we get up a little earlier, we work an extra day, we multitask. Maybe try to do that. If you've got kids, I'll do this while I'm at the kids' game. We're really not multitaskers. We really can only do one thing at a time. We kid ourselves. The problem is, this jar only comes in one size. Size 24. Jesus asked the question, which of you by worrying can add an hour to your day? The answer is no one. We get one size jar, one life. And it's not going to get any bigger, and the tennis balls really still aren't going to fit if we worry and cram and try to force things into it. So we try another approach. Okay, so let me microwave my priorities. Let me shrink them. Let me try that. Let me do them in less time. Let me try somehow to squeeze them in alongside everything else. And what really only happens then is instead of living our priorities, we manage our guilt. And the only thing that really shrinks is our joy. And we end up with, instead of the rich life that Jesus wanted, wanted us to have, prayed for us to have, died for us to have, we end up with a deeper craving, a deeper longing in our heart. It's a God-given longing for us to have. In the end, if someone tells you you just need to manage your time better, they've lied to you. You can't manage time. Time comes pretty consistently, one second, one minute, one hour, right after the other. In the end, what it comes down to is managing these priorities better. What it comes down to is filling our days with what matters most first. So let me suggest a different approach. So you take this jar that is your life, and as best you can, you try to start with a clean slate. And I know we really can't. But theoretically, you try. So you start over. And you take a fresh look at your week, your day, as best you can. And you try to do it in a way that honors what you value most. And you start filling your boxes in with that instead of your have-tos. And here's how that looks different. You start by making your commitment to God the first thing. Jesus, Mark 1 tells us, was teaching and healing and spending an entire day in one town. The whole town came out. And he taught and he healed late into the night. Mark 1.35 says that the following day, before daybreak, he got up and he went out to an isolated place by himself to pray. Was he tired? You bet. But he knew that he needed that connection to sustain him, to help him stay on course with the priorities and the values in his life. 
So the first thing to do is to arrange your life so that you have time alone with God on a regular basis. To pray. To read the Bible. To set your compass for your life. And if you do that, God will help you with the rest of your life to get a healthy rhythm. A life-sustaining rhythm. A soul-nourishing rhythm. It'll help you sort out the other priorities. What I'd also recommend, and I don't have time to go into this morning, is this idea that's taught throughout the scripture of carving out one day or a part of a day every week for a Sabbath. Now, the true idea is a full day where you and your family don't do any work at all for a full day. It's a day to rest, replenish, restore recalibrate, refocus your life. Does it sound good? I mean, you're not doing laundry. You're not doing yard work. You're not doing work work. It's like your computer and your cell phone blew up. You just disconnect. And you recalibrate your life. Here's the importance of this. Wayne Muller, who writes and teaches a lot on this, says this, if we don't allow for the rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, then illness will become our Sabbath. Our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack, car accidents will create a Sabbath for us. If you really would like to begin to do this, it will change your life for you. And I can suggest resources and a way to begin. So see me after the service, shoot me an email, post a message on Facebook, and I can put you in touch with some resources that will help you just begin to carve out this time. You can start with a Saturday morning and just begin. Second priority, you have to drop in there just realistically. I drop in work. You know your schedule. The important thing with work is to boundary it, to draw the lines. So that work doesn't spill over into the time that you're setting for the other priorities. So that you close up shop and then live the rest of your life. And I'll just tell you, it's not any easier for me to do this than it is for you. Third, people. That, and we'll talk more about this next week. But block out time on your calendar to be with the people you love doing the things that you love. And if it helps, put it on your calendar. And when you're with them, be with them, fully present. We'll talk about that more next week. And then fourth, joy. (laughs) Learn to enjoy the simple pleasures in life. For a lot of us, that means to slow down. At lunch today, try chewing your food slowly. Enjoy the texture, the taste, unless you're at McDonald's, then eat it as fast as you can. (laughs) Try something new in Chicago that I haven't seen. Drive slowly. (laughs) Enjoy what's around you. Do something you love. I, about uh, six weeks ago, fired up. I have a full woodworking shop in my garage that had been ignored for 18 months. I fired it up and started building things again. It's something I love that brings me joy. 
takes away the entire world. It's amazing when you can lose fingers in seconds, you have to focus and let the rest of the world go. Do something you love. Find something that brings you joy. Now, all of my priorities are in there. All the things I value, I've planned for them, I've marked time for them, and in the process, I've trusted God because just because I have them in my calendar doesn't mean they're going to stay. Let's be realistic. Things happen. I have to adjust. But all my have-tos are still there. They haven't gone away either. And so I have to start being realistic and saying there are still things in my life that I have to do. I still have to sleep. My kids still have obligation. I still have to go see my parents and help take care of them. But if I've put God first and I've marked off those priorities, then I start putting the have-tos back in around my priorities. And I'm not going to stand here and lie to you and tell you that if you put your priorities then in, that everything is going to magically fit in your calendar. I've seen people do that with this exercise. That's a lie. It's not going to work that way. Just because you put your priorities in first doesn't mean that you get to do everything you want in this life. You have to make some tough choices. We all do. We have to make a choice in how we're going to invest the squares of our life. Am I working too much? I'm the only one that can solve that. Am I overcommitted in areas? I have to say no. Does my life consist of meeting my kids' every demand? Then I have to learn two very important words. No and enough. There are two big lessons that I seem to have to learn in my life on a consistent basis when it comes to making my time count. I have to be okay with the fact that everything that I used to do won't get done. Just won't. I'm going to take some of those things and set them to the side. And there are going to be people that I used to make commitments to that are going to be frustrated. In fact, in Mark 1.35, when Jesus went off by himself to pray, the disciples were upset with him. Don't you know that people are looking for you? Can you imagine scolding Jesus? <laughs> and Jesus said, you know what? It's all right. Just a paraphrase, he said, I... I've got this list of priorities and I know exactly what I'm about. Not everything is going to fit. The second one is that for me to have a healthy, soul-sustaining pace of life, I don't need to fill that jar to the top. There has to be space. There has to be margin. There has to be room for me to breathe. Downtime is not wasted time. Paul put it this way in Ephesians. He said, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. And don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Our lives didn't get crazy overnight. And they won't get simple overnight either. 
Change won't happen in a day. It happens one decision at a time as we choose how we're going to fill those squares in our calendar. As we fill them with the people and the priorities that matter most. As we decide to stop doing some things. But how peaceful would our hearts be a month from now? If we could lay our heads on the pillow at night and pray the prayer that Jesus prayed, God, I finished the work that you gave me to do today. Maybe. Maybe to reach that place a month from now, it starts by beginning the prayer, beginning with this prayer tomorrow morning. God, help us to let go of the firm grasp that we have on hurry and busy and one more thing life that we live and help us to look to you for peace and a settled spirit every day.